listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com slash retro sermons. From our reading this morning, we talked about the fact that Jesus has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And that brings us back to a series that I began a couple of weeks ago in asking the question, how much are we like Jesus? And uh, as we think about that, we really think about the fact that that is the goal of every Christian, or should be. Um, Peter said that Jesus left us those footsteps to follow in, and Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We want to isolate another aspect of the life of Christ that, of course, is the perfect example, and ask ourselves, how much are we like Jesus in this? This morning I want to ask ourselves, or I want us to ask ourselves the question, how much do we like Jesus in courage? This is something that sometimes we don't isolate. We don't think about kind of as a separate issue. But I think it is something that's very interesting as you observe it in the life of Jesus. And as you look at the life of great men of faith and women of faith, you see it. Abraham showed a great deal of courage to go and rescue his nephew Lot and the spoils of Sodom and Gomorrah and bring them back. Moses took a great deal of courage to go through uh, to one of the most powerful men on earth at the time. That is the Pharaoh of Egypt. Deborah, the judge of Israel, took a great deal of courage for her in a kind of unorthodox way go out and fight or be there when they were fighting in battle. She went out with Barak, Israel's captain. It took courage for Elijah to challenge the 450 prophets of Baal. But almost in every case, you can go back and put your finger on times where these great men and women faltered. Their faith faltered in some way, or they weakened. Abraham, for instance, lied about his wife being his sister. Now, she was his half-sister, but she was his wife. I think about Elijah, who again challenged the prophets of Baal, but his, his faith and courage kind of evaporated after that when Jezebel threatened his life. And remember what the Lord had to do to get Moses to just go and talk to Pharaoh? So, when you look at men and women... Even men and women of faith, you can get good examples of courage, but you can also see that sometimes they vacillate in it. So the best example, of course, is the one who never vacillated, who never vacillated, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never wielded a sword, but as Peter found out in Matthew 26 in the garden, sometimes it takes a lot more courage to stand for a spiritual principle than to pull out a sword and start swinging. Jesus Christ showed several things in his life in regard to courage. In fact, three things I want to look at with you this morning. And to some degree they overlap, but to some degree they're separate. And they emphasize a, a different aspect of the courage of Christ that every one of us, I believe, must strive for. To begin with, Jesus Christ had courage in that Jesus always held to the truth of his conviction. He was a man of conviction. He sometimes said things and did things against the religious thought of the day, against the religious political correctness, if you allow me to use that. You remember the story in Mark chapter 10 where the ruler came running? And I've always wondered about that scene where the ruler comes running before Jesus and there's Jesus' disciples all around him and the ruler comes running and falls down and he said, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, keep the law. And he said, Which one? He said, you shouldn't commit adultery or steal or murder or... And the man said to Jesus, I've done all that. From my youth up, I've kept the commandments of Moses. The Bible says 
that Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And always remember this, that the courage of Jesus wasn't just to tell somebody off, but it was to help people. Even when sometimes he seemed to be a bit blunt, he loved them. And he looked at this man and he said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man had great riches, and the Bible said he went away far. You see, he really hadn't kept all his commandments. He hadn't kept the very first one, thou shalt have no other gods before. But Jesus said that, and it has always been, and it is today, difficult to swim against the stream, so to speak. And especially the religious thought. You know, the prevailing thought of a lot of people is, is you know, kind of like Jesus would say, if they looked at that man, they'd probably say, well, he's great, he's fine, he's a good guy. But Jesus looked deeply within and saw there was something that he needed to hear. Today, people say, well, you know, so-and-so's a good person. Good wife, good husband, good provider, uh, doesn't lie or cheat or steal, but pretty good person. And for you and I or anyone to pick up the Bible and say, but you know, we can't ignore what God has written. We have to let him define what good is completely. We cannot say it doesn't matter whether we keep doctrine. We can't set up our own moral code, some from here and some from somewhere else. And yet if you say that, people will look at you as if you're... And you might even hear the term used, extremist. Sometimes people will hurl legalists, call it just a legalist. And it takes courage just to kind of stand out and say, wait a minute, I believe this, and I believe this for this reason. You know, I said this before, and I'll continue to mention it, and you also are feeling the pain. It's beginning, it's getting harder and harder to talk about things that we ought to do, in some cases, and some things that we ought not to do in the Bible, because a lot of people in the world, as I say, the prevailing thought is, nah, don't worry about that so much. You might be surprised, some of you might not, at how many religious groups you can be in good standing with, you know what I mean? And yet you can drink a little. You can go to places where there's modern dancing. You can wear pretty much what you want to wear. You can do all kinds of things that really violate God's law. But you're considered member in good standing. And sometimes I think that comes right over to the church and maybe we won't go full-blown that direction, but sometimes it's done in a silent way. We just kind of turn our heads and pretend we don't see. And I want to tell you that that's not courage. And that's not conviction. I want to ask you something this morning. Are you a pressure person or are you a principal person? I haven't lost my mind. Wait a minute. One time I remembered, uh, I knew of a particular Christian that seemed to have such conviction. And yet I noticed at particular moments that conviction seemed to evaporate. And I couldn't understand that. And I was talking at another time with a friend of mine and we were discussing how that occurs in some people's lives and he said this to me he said David some people are principal people and some people are pressure people and I thought what do you mean? he said some people do what they do or don't do what they do because they believe certain things are right and certain things are wrong and their whole life is patterned in that direction he said some people do what they do because they react to pressure if some people apply enough pressure here they just kind of move over here Enough pressure is pressured over on this side, they'll just kind of move over here. Jesus was, man, what? Jesus was a principal person. Do you remember the time in Luke 7 where he was eating with a Pharisee? 
He didn't know much about climbing the Brotherhood ladder. <laughs> he sometimes spoke when it would have been political not to speak. He sometimes didn't speak when certain people thought he ought to speak, but he always was courageous. In Luke chapter 7, the story is told of a Pharisee named Simon. Jesus was eating with him. You remember the story? And the sinful woman, pretty pretty notorious, I guess, in the community, because when she came in, she was obviously broken, and her tears were falling on his feet, making them wet, and he put this ointment on his feet, and she took her hair, and she was wiping his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee, who you, we know about the Pharisees, don't we, who consider themselves guardians of the word of God, and very strict and people who follow God and in his mind he did not say it out loud in his mind he said if this man were a prophet he would know what kind of woman it was that was touching him and, and, and as he thought that Jesus heard him thinking now nobody around knew except Simon and Jesus Jesus didn't have to say a thing but he looked up and he said Simon I have something to say to you and when he finished talking he had basically said this woman loves much she will be forgiven her many sins, but Simon, the same who has forgiven little, the same loves little. Jesus was principle-oriented. He did what he thought was right. One of the best examples of that is when he stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, and that was such a joke of a trial. He didn't have any representation. He was being tried in the middle of the night, which was against their law, the most hypocritical thing that was going on. He said, I assure you by the, by the living God, are you the Son of God? Jesus didn't sidestep that. He didn't mealy mouth around. He said, you said. He knew what it was going to mean. He knew where he was going. But he was convicted. And he held to his convictions and to the truth. Don't ask you, are you convicted? Do you know the truth? And I want to tell you, in some cases, it's because people don't know the truth, but in every case, that's not it. Some people know what is right. Deep down, they understand the truth. In some cases, they've been taught it all their life, but they begin to make excuses and to rationalize and to work it out, and it's just a lack of courage in some cases. That's right. I, I think I've been telling you, a friend of mine played basketball years ago when the style of basketball pants were just real short. And frankly, he, he conscientiously couldn't do that. He had a standard he had set for himself, and he wasn't going to break that standard. I'm reminded of Daniel when I think of this illustration. And there were times where people would call him from the stands, and even a, a referee said one time, like your pants. <laughs> but I want to tell you this. He wore them. And he wore them because he believed it was right. And that's why Jesus did what he did. He didn't do it because so-and-so will like it over here or so-and-so might not like it. He did it because he had conviction and he had courage. And I want to tell you, if there's ever a powerful example of what we should follow, it's Jesus Christ in standing for what we know is right. And you remember Peter, how he evaporated his courage and faith after that scene in the garden where Jesus told him to put up his sword. And you remember that he was around that fire while Jesus was on trial and, and he cursed and swore he didn't know who Jesus was. Later, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, after Jesus had been killed and raised again and met with his disciples on the Mount of Ascension and gone back to heaven and it all became clear to Peter what was going on, he was threatened in Acts 4 and he was beaten up in Acts 5 and he left rejoicing. And I wonder where he got his courage. And I thought many times that he didn't look back. At that scene in the garden where Jesus went out to meet that mob of people. 
And he said, who are you looking for? If it's me, you're looking for. Let these go their way. Those disciples had that example to look back on. And Peter and John counted it a privilege to be beaten up for the name of Christ. Jesus has heard. Now this is close, but it's different. Listen. Jesus' courage actively stood against error and sin. You can follow Jesus' life, and there are many beautiful things about it, but I'll tell you, Jesus withstood false teaching, bad attitudes, and sinful people. In fact, in John chapter 2, on two occasions, Luke chapter 19, Jesus went into the temple, and there they were changing the money and selling the animals, and it looked like some kind of a bazaar going off. And he went in and overturned those money tables and drove those animals out and said, Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. It's a house of prayer. He knew that was going to get some people upset. He knew that was going to ruffle some feathers. But he was a person that was committed to truth to the point of not just saying, this is what I believe, and passively floating through life, but standing against what was wrong. That's part of being a Christian. One of the hardest things to me is to decide when to forbear, when to patiently go along with things, and when to stand up and say, that's the line, no more. That's not always easy. You know, one of the outstanding qualities of elders is to be knowledge of God's Word, yes. But coupled with that very tightly is courage. Please turn with me to Titus 1. I, I want to read this with you again. I, I really think this is a, a passage that's significant for us all to look at because, frankly, this is what we all should strive for. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, please. Now, this is the last of the qualifications mentioned there, but then it talks about why they need these qualifications and what they could do. Verse 9 of Titus 1, please. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Let me tell you something. One of the most difficult things to do is to deal with the false teacher or the person whose attitude is not right. It's not clean and pretty and happy and everybody goes along and the bluebirds are flying. It's difficult. It's messy. It's a third. I believe the Bible teaches this is a quality that we as Christians must have and as I said, in this case, elders in particular. And I think sometimes the way I have helped try to deal with various individuals in the church, I, I think sometimes, and it doesn't always happen, sometimes people who are good people, who are conscientious, sometimes get more said to them because they'll take it better than the troublemaker with the lousy attitude with. Kind of like a, in a family where you have a strong-willed child and two other relatively mild children, and the strong-willed child, sometimes you don't come down on them because you don't want to go through the fight. And that, that, just, that doesn't take courage. It takes courage. I want to tell you something else. And I feel strongly about this. I do. But I believe as a faithful Christian, we can't just sit on the sidelines and act like, well, that's none of my business. I don't. And, and be careful. I'm not suggesting to you for a moment 
that I or you ought to get involved in everybody's personal squabble. In fact, the Bible teaches us not to. Matthew 18, 15 through 18 teaches that. If you and I have a problem, we're to work it out. That's what we Nobody denies that. At least they ought not to. But there are some things that are not just in the realm of personal squabble. There are some things that come to the forefront that involve the church, and if you're a member of that church, you're going to have to take a stand. What if, what if you'd live back at that church at Antioch in Acts chapter 14 and the beginning of 15, and Judaizing teachers came into the church where Paul and Barnabas were and where those brethren were, and they came in saying, unless you brethren are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, we know that's not true. And you read first, or Acts 15 verses 1 and 2, and the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, that there was a strong dissension. There was a dispute going on. Now, they ultimately decided to go down to Peter and John and James at Jerusalem and to ask of them, ask them the question. Where would you have been, though? Some of you may feel like, well, I just, I just can't word things the way some people can. I just can't formulate an answer the way some can. Are you aware of the fact that you don't have to be able to do that to stand up for what is right? Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul was thankful for brethren who were not ashamed of him, the prisoner of the Lord. You can uphold things. I, I know a particular brother who's kind of made it a pattern of life. Just that things start getting kind of upset and just things kind of going, he just kind of withdraws, kind of goes over here and stands, he all of a sudden vanishes. Well, is that right? You want to be a part of a congregation that is faithful and working and growing, but you don't want to pay the price. That's not right. And there are times when what we need to do is we need to stand up. And I'm going to tell you where it gets hard. It gets hard when I may have to stand up against a person that's a member of my family. And I'll tell you where it gets hard. Where I may have to stand up against a person that I've known for 30 or 40 years. And sometimes community... And the loyalty to community outweighs the loyalty that we have to the Lord. We just don't want to go through it because we have our uh, situation here in the community. We have certain relationships. We like it the way it is. And we don't want to upset. And I want to tell you that that is not courageous. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And he, he leaves us very little leeway. And I have family members. You know that. And you've got family members, and I know that. That probably aren't what they ought to be. I can love them, but I can't change the word of God for them. And God has not made it acceptable that I can just love my family and be loyal to my family or to my friends, or because if I do this, I may not get this business. I've got to stand as a principled person. You know the saying that's been said so many times, but it applies here so well, I must say it. Sometimes silence isn't golden, it's just plain yellow. That's right. And I want to tell you that the Bible teaches that a Christian must enter the kingdom of God with many tribulations. And I tell you, I don't like it. I wish I could just fix it out where I could just float in into heaven on a nice carpet of ease. But Paul and Barnabas told those brethren, Asia Minor, Minor, in Acts 14 and verse 22, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Satan won't leave us alone. And when we understand that, 
it helps us to accept certain things that we need to. I'm not saying that we should create problems. I'm not saying we should look for problems. But I'm saying that we should expect them from time to time. And in a courageous way, stand up. There's a passage that's always been a little sobering to me. Revelation 21, verse 8, talks about those who will have their place in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. That's hell. You know who's what's right at the top of the list? The coward. The fearful. And we are so quick sometimes to say, well, I'm just afraid to do that. I was just afraid. And brethren, I've been afraid. And I've sat by. And I haven't said things when I should have said things. And I can't go back and undo that. But I can study the Word of God and I can look to the example of Jesus Christ and ask Peter when I make a foolish mistake, I can try to make a better one later. How much do we like Jesus? And obeying everything that God said. You know, Jesus said in John eight twenty nine, I always do those things that please the Father. There are marvelous things that we are asked to do. Beautiful things. Loving one another. I find that a particularly easy command most of the time. Um, being kind to other people. Uh, helping other people. There are some easy things. And Jesus obeyed those things. But Jesus obeyed the things that were so difficult to do. And in that, we see that Jesus, his obedience to God was special. It was a courageous obedience. And nobody's ever been asked to do what Jesus was asked to do. Let's just get that out in the open right now. In John 13, and we're going to discuss this a little more if we discuss another characteristic of Jesus eventually, but right now, think of the thing that scares you the absolute most. I mean, you just can't stand it. With me, it's hype. I know. You laugh. I don't like to get up. I was at Legion Field not long ago, and I was up way up on that deck, and I looked over the side, and I walked along the wall like this almost. <laughs> I don't like hype. Jesus didn't want to be separated from his Father and to take of all the horrors of hell. That is what Satan was going to put on him on that cross. And in John 13, verses 1 and 2, you are told that Jesus knew what was about to happen. He understood that. And I want you to know that man, the man Christ Jesus, got up and went right out and met him. The laughing, the fiddle, the beating, the ridicule. And he could have stopped it at any time. Curry. As he walked down that path carrying that cross and they beat him up, he's asked us to do some things. And he's got a right to ask us to do some things. As Christians, we are asked to do everything that God has told us to do. To do it because we love him. To do it because we trust him. To make things work out for good to them that love the Lord. To them that are called according to his purpose. To show courage, even in the face of not being able to explain how it will end or how it might end. We trust God, and so we have courage. I think about the passage in Second Corinthians. I, we look at. Can I turn there one more time? Second Corinthians two, just just very briefly with you. And as you're turning, remember that in the First Corinthian letter, Paul had written to the brethren and told them to mark a man, have no fellowship with one of the Christians who had his father's wife. Very difficult thing because they had ignored it here before. 
But notice, they ultimately did what Paul said, and apparently that man came back and made things right. But Paul says, this is why I wanted you to do that. One of the reasons anyway. The first was to save the man. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, verses 8 and 9. And concentrate on verse 9. Verse 8 beginning. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. We learn a lot about ourselves and the things that we do or don't do that God has asked us to do that are very difficult. We learn about ourselves. Will we be obedient in everything? Do we have the courage to do it? And I want to say this, and I don't want to say this with any kind of false humility. I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm above any kind of things that are fearful or any kind of things that are difficult or any of the pressures in the world. Sometimes principled people give in to pressure. You know that. But I know that this is somewhere I'm supposed to be striving to be. All of us. And I think with some of us, we kind of look at it and we say, yeah, well, you know, I, I want to be that way and maybe I can be someday. No, that's not good enough. We have to try to be this way. I think there are too many Christians that are deceived, thinking that I'll kind of not get too involved and I'm going to stay on the periphery of things and if things heat up, I'm just going to kind of evaporate. I don't believe that's pleasing to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? For those of you who aren't Christians, God has given everything for you, and Jesus Christ especially has given everything, and now he is holding out his hand, and he's saying, Come unto me, all of you that labor, and are heavy labor, and I'll give you it. And some of you may be saying right now, but David, I, I'm afraid. I, I don't know if I can hold out. I don't know if I can be the kind of person that I ought to be. Listen, there aren't any guarantees. There are not any guarantees, even for you who think you've got your life just the way you want it and all mapped out. It may not turn out that way at all. But God has promised you that if you'll come to Him as a Christian, He will not allow Satan to put more on you than you can resist. Now, you may not resist it because you don't want to, but He won't allow Satan to overwhelm you. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things with Jesus, through Jesus Christ that strengthens me. Listen to me for just one minute more. Where does courage come from? Because courage really is, is a moral decision. And true courage is doing what you know you ought to do, even when you don't want to do it. When you're afraid, when it's going to be difficult, you know there's going to be a row and a problems, and, but you know it's the right thing to do. How do you get that? Well, i tell you where cowardice comes from. It comes from sin, the consequences of sin, shame, and it comes from habit of practicing cowardice. Whenever problems arise, whenever difficulties come up, turn around and get out. <laughs> Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, and I love this, The wicked flees where no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Courage comes from knowing that you're right with God. Not perfect, but that you're right with Him. And when you know you're right with God, and you're striving to please Him, and you love Him from the heart and love your fellow man, I'm going to tell you, People can laugh at you, they threaten you, and they can do anything they want. But there's a quiet strength within 
that can withstand anything the devil can throw at you. Jesus told us that, didn't he? He did that. Don't look first to any of these people or to me or anybody else. Look first to him. Lift him up. And lift him up better by taking the courage to step out and be a Christian this morning while we thank you, God. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Am I a soul? 